always got utter belief in him. And somehow she's found the acceleration. What a day. What a podcast. February 17th, 2021. The day that the Let's Run.com homepage makeover will be unveiled. We are recording an absolutely amazing podcast because what an absolutely amazing week of competition we had last week. Another world record has fallen in Monaco. Bryce Hopple, Donovan Brazier, and Ellie Perrier have gotten American records at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. Throw in a Australian record for Ollie Hoare, an NCAA record for Sam Tanner. If that's not enough for you, how about Cooper Tier and Cole Hawker obliterating the NCAA mile record? NCAXC is back. All is great. Joshua Chapter Guy's back in the winner's circle. Only ones that had a bad week last week were Jeffrey Camware and Kibawat Candy beaten at the Kenyan Cross Country Championships. So much to talk about, guys. I hope you're excited. I hope you're upbeat. There's two ways to think about this. Are you a glass half full or half empty type person? I am celebrating the great week of action. Others are saying, folks, play the funeral music. Times are meaningless. Yeah, Robert, I look, I, I think I'm more of a celebration guy. I like to get excited about the sport. Am I more excited about the sport than I was a week ago? Yes. I think some of these performances were legitimately exciting. Now, would they be running quite as fast without the shoes? I think that's sort of... Partially, it's case by case. I mean, remember, Gudolf Sagai, one of the most stunning results of the winter, 353, 1,500-meter world record. That was running the old Adidas spikes. I think many of the performances we saw last weekend, I mean, some of them, we don't know what kind of shoes. Like, Ollie Hoare, what kind of shoes was he wearing for on? Do they have some kind of spike? I don't know. Ollie Hoare was wearing the new Nike spike. I have that confirmed. Okay. So, obviously, like, the spikes play some sort of role. I'm not going to deny that, but... I don't want to fixate on it forever like we did with the vapor flies a few years ago. I think we can admit, yes, spikes are helping improve times. We can also say, hey, these athletes have raced for a while. Some of these races were set up. Like, look at the mile record for, by the Oregon guys. That was specifically set up just so they can run as fast as possible. They were trying to hit 1,500 standards for the Olympics. It, ironically, none of them got it because it's a really freaking hard standard, 335 flat. But the results are still pretty phenomenal. So Ben Thomas isn't a very smart coach. You're trying to hit a 1500 standard. Then why would you try to run the mile, John? That doesn't make any sense to me. This is the first week in history that people have decided to run, to go for a fast time. That's, that's what does it. I don't want to be negative. It was amazing performances, but you've got your hand in the sand, John. If you don't think shoes are a big part about this, I've been denying. When did it. I say that Robert? When did I ever say that? I said, I'm saying I'm not going to ignore the role. Clearly they have a play, have a part to play. This, this, the taping of this podcast was delayed by a few minutes because I was on the phone with a top college coach and they, they, they told me to keep it private. So I don't want to reveal too much, but I, I guess I can just say these words game changing is what they said about these spikes game changing guys. Let me jump in. We might even have to educate our viewers. What's going on. They probably don't even know what you guys are talking about. The super spikes are here. I think everybody's aware of, Super road shoes, the Vaporfly, super stack height shoes. Now some of that technology, PBAX foam has come to spikes. New Balance has one. Nike has one. And athletes who are running these things saying they're game changers. Nick Willis does not have a shoe sponsor. He wears the New Balance one. He's like, this could make, I think, three-second difference in a mile. Well, that's pretty significant. The funny thing is, if you look at that, three seconds in a mile is like 1.2%. 
And if let's say the super shoes make two minute difference in a two hour marathon, that's actually more of a percentage, 1.6%. So these spikes make, make less difference than a road shoe, but there's less variability in the track. And if it's soon going to be apparent, if you're not racing in one of these shoes, you might as well switch sponsors, demand your sponsor. Did you not hear what I just said about Gudolf Sagai? She just ran a world record by two seconds in old spikes. Well, then. I think the point here we have to make, yes, it does seem that these spikes have an effect. It seems like everyone who wears them seems to get a boost, but we don't know how big that effect is. We've got pro runners guesstimating. Now, granted, Nick Willis has is experienced. You know, He has a pretty good idea of what kind of shape he's in from any time, given time. But we're going off of sort of ballpark guesses. We don't have the hard data like we do with the vapor flies to say, oh, it's exactly three seconds per 1600, that sort of thing. Well, we don't have hard data on the vapor fly either. That's why these studies need to be done. This might be a money-making opportunity. We do the research, and then we just charge shoe companies a shitload of cash. You know, hundred grand. You want this? You want this information? Hundred grand at each company, and they pay pay for it. I mean, it, it, it's getting embarrassing that someone's stepping in and hasn't done this. But John, okay, so they ran whatever she ran. Imagine if she had a better shoe. And Adidas is going to come out with a super spike. I mean, they have to. We don't know that. Took took him years to come back. It took him three years to come up with the super road shoe. We we can't just assume that the level the playing field is going to be level by the Olympics. Then this is going to become apparent. Who do you want to run for? You want to run for on running? They're letting your athletes run in any shoes. I guess you could not e- not even have a shoe company sponsor like someone like Tracksmith or like what does Alexi Pappas run for? Champion? Or you need a super spike? Nike, New Balance. Does anyone else have one now? Like this is going to be game changing by the end of the year. The, in, in the sport of track and field, though, the big thing is Adidas and Nike are the two big sponsors. Like New Balance does a lot of American women. They don't really sponsor a lot of American men internationally. They're behind, but you know they have some good runners. Obviously, they got Bramel and some sprinters. But distance running. I, I guess you're right. Yeah, Adidas has to have a shoe. Otherwise. Well, I've, I've heard Adidas has one in the works that so it'll be out in a couple of months before the Olympics. I know there's some podcast listeners screaming at their phones saying, Oh, here we go again. Rojo's doing it again. Some people don't even believe in this. This reminds me so much of the marathon thing thing. We're going to hear probably even from Jonathan Galton's very podcast about how it's not about the shoes and Kip Choki is just such a big talent and he's so dedicated and he lives this lifestyle. That's why he's running so fast. And Cooper tier is so good, and Ben Thomas is such a great coach at the University of Oregon. Robert, you've been praising him for a long time as being the best. And all of these things, people are going to say it's a COVID year, and they're not partying in the altitude, which which I've said. But I do think that the shoes have a big role here. It's not perfect data because we haven't seen this. One thing that's interesting to me is we have not seen really faster sprinting times. So I got an interesting text. From a buddy, he said, hey, if these shoes are so great, why aren't the sprinters wearing them? And I posted this question up. I actually texted that to Jeff Burns, former podcast guest and Let's Run.com VIP subscriber, Jeff Burns, PhD at the University of Michigan. And the shoe expert, he has done a lengthy response to this, which I posted on the VIP subscriber forum. If you want to support the podcast, if you want to support independent journalism, Please sign up now. Let's run.com slash subscribe. We would appreciate it. But it, it's pretty interesting there. He talks about why, you know, sprinters have a different foot strike than, than 
distance runners, and also one's an aerobic event, one's an anaerobic event, why the shoes really might not help nearly as much in a sprint as they would in the long distance event. Um, but it was interesting to me. The most interesting thing about his post was I said, I, I threw out the Nick Willis has sort of insinuated two seconds per 1200 or one second per 600. And Jeff Burns said that his rough mechanical estimates, observations and thoughts from athletes are approximately two and a half to three seconds for the high level 1500 slash mile. So he kind of agrees with Nick, I guess. Well, Robert, I would like to say, so uh, can we start talking about some of these performances? I feel like we're doing a disservice to the athletes and our listeners by just saying, oh, well, these crazy shoes ran these great times this weekend. It's like, well, no, you still got to be a pretty great athlete to run these times. I think we need to give them some credit here. Um, the, I want to start with the, this mile in, Oregon, in, in Arkansas. The Oregon guys, 350 by Kubatia smashes the collegiate record. I, I saw that collegiate record. It was Edward Cheserak. He did it in Boston a few years ago. He ran 352.01, and I was like, this record's going to last like 20 years. Like, who, what college kid is going to come in and run 351 indoors? Like, that's just not going to happen. He, it didn't even last four years, and it was a guy on his own team. Edward Cheserick goes from number one to number three in, his, in the Oregon record books because Kubatia runs 350. Cole Hawker, all of 19 years old, runs 350, and then Charlie Hunter runs an Australian mile record, and he gets left in the dust in 353. I mean, normally you'd say college kid just ran 353. He's the NCAA favorite. Now he's like, you know, the third best miler on his own team. So I thought that was pretty phenomenal. And one thing I will say here is there was a, there was a message board thread about why is everyone running so fast in the NCAA this year? And there was a good post, this poster straight from the oven. And he provided some reasons. He said, look, the training needs that can run a competitive 8K, 10K, and the training needed to run quality this indoor season are quite different. And having to make that switch in three months is hard on the body. So he essentially is like, look, there are several things that are combining here. One, no cross country. So these guys, they're just going straight into like mile you know, track training, which isn't quite true because the Oregon guys were kind of training for cross country as recently as about five or six weeks ago. But the second point, shoe technology. He's not ignoring that. Obviously, that is that plays a role. Then you get meets and events turned into time trials instead of races. That's basically what this was. Like a lot of people, more than usual, because we don't know how many opportunities you're going to have indoors. People are just going for those fast times. That's exactly what this race was. Athletes having to worry less about academics than ever before because they don't have to try at virtual school. I mean, I didn't take online classes, but I have to imagine that it takes a little less time. You can also get those training trips out to Flagstaff or whatever. And then he said, number five, whatever new training secret Ben Thomas seems to have discovered. But I, I think, I don't know. I I thought that was like, that's kind of insightful. It's not, it's a combination of things. Obviously the shoes are one of them, but I think there's a bunch of things. Oh, and then you got talent. I mean, Kubatier was a stud in high school. Cole Hawker won footlocker in high school. Charlie Hunter's a really good runner. You guys all, you're just rolling your eyes and saying, you seem to think it's all the shoes. I mean, does this guy not have a point? What's this poster's name? Uh, straight from the oven was the handle they posted under. Logged in or not? I, I don't remember. Well, that's the post of the week. They'll be getting a free Let's Run.com shirt if they're logged in. But if they're not, how can we give them credit? You can get yours. Go to shop.letsrun.com. And you can still get it, guys. Element, that's L-M-N-T. The electrolyte drink of yours truly. 
you can get a free sample, eight-pack sample, 100 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium. They have great flavors. I love this stuff. You only pay five bucks shipping, and they'll refund that if you're unhappy. I was going to offer to refund the money myself, and then I saw that they have a complete money-back guarantee. You go there right now on your Safari phone. You can do Apple Checkout. It'll take you less than 30 seconds, I think, to get this sent your way. You really need to try this stuff. DrinkLMNT.com slash Let's Run. Yes, John, it's a combo of things, but like, let's not pretend just that these shoes are making a difference, right? Like When you're seeing stuff that doesn't add up across the board, which you're supposed to believe it's, it's COVID, no, no, I'm I'm not pretending. Look, I'm admitting the shoes make a difference. I just think everyone who's saying, "Oh, it's 100 percent the shoes," is mistaken. And you got the good off Sagai result in there. Shelby Houlihan last summer ran 14:23, not in the super shoes. I mean, I just think to give everything to the credit to the shoes is kind of it's a disservice. Some some of these athletes have been training their ass off and finally get a chance to show it. Well, John, some Chinese woman ran whatever. How's that? I mean, we but we all know they were dopers. Well, what's the point there? People have run fast in the past in regular shoes, but now if you give them a better shoe, they'll run faster. Just the fact that somebody ran 354 in old shoes, like at Worlds a couple years ago, people ran faster than that. Put her in these new shoes, she'll do even better. I mean, that is, that's yet to be seen, but I can see, yes, I can certainly see that happening. What the Oregon men are doing, we need to like give this praise because – Tack on three seconds to all these times. The times are still amazing. I think we don't. We want to give Ben Thomas, Cooper Tier, Cole Hawker. Like they got backup guys who are running three fifty four. Well, Reed Brown's run three fifty six, and Charlie Hunter. The next day, he runs three fifty three in the mile, and then in Australian record, the next day he runs one forty five in the eight hundred. Also, an Australian indoor record in less than twenty four hours. Yeah, this guy's the Australian record holder. And I'm, I'm like, don't even know his name. And he's some backup spare, I'm calling him. Like, he's a 145 indoor guy. I mean, this is crazy. Move over, Andrew Reading. This is what I would like to see. I would like to see these guys race a championship 1500. I mean, Oregon, you guys are amazing. You're running you're running amazing. And we can also talk. They're also talking shit amazing. They're talking shit to an Olympic champion on, on Instagram. John will have the details of that soon. But I would like to see these guys actually be in a real race. Because Cooper Tier's 800 POB is not fast. It's only 149. I view him as more of a 5K guy. I do not view him as a miler. So I would like to see them run a, a, a tactical race. Would you give the credit to the 800 guy to beat them in a championship-style 1500? I'm not sure. We'll see. Um, probably, actually, we probably won't see. Well, no, Robert. I, I See, this is what I wanted to ask you. You have these three studs, okay? They said they're pretty much going all in on NCAA indoors. They're going to be doing some doubles. You've got Tia, you've got Hawker, you've got Hunter. How are you dividing your resources to score maximum points at NCAAs with those three guys? John, this isn't something Robert's had to worry about, how to maximize points at NCAA, so he's stumped here. Well, he's, I mean, this is a man who told me that he dominated the Ivy League uh, as a distance coach at Cornell and I would imagine he's familiar with this sort of thing unless maybe Nathan yes. Taylor deserves more credit than Robert does for assigning the the athletes no well Dartmouth always Dartmouth never done I I didn't have trouble, much experience double peopling at NCAs unfortunately that is correct but I did all the time with the Ivy League level unlike Dartmouth where we would just run our best guys and maybe one event or let them take off the indoor season like Ben True we would double our guys triple our guys so that we would get first place eight years in a row Unlike Dartmouth, who's happy to get sixth or seventh in the Ivy League every year. But um, 
I mean, is it going to matter? They pretty much are a lock, right? They've got the number one seed in the 60. Uh, uh, the easiest double, obviously. It's also, it's a three-day meet, so I have not seen the new schedule. No, it's, they, I mean, the first day doesn't really matter, though, because it's just multis and stuff. There's no running, like, serious running events on the first day. Oh, okay. Well, the easiest double, obviously, is the 3,000 and the DMR, right? Right. Um, you only have to run one each day, and, and, and I mean, you put Pierre in the 3,000 and the DMR, I think he's going to do pretty darn well in that um but you could also try i guess the open mile as well right well that's what i'm asking you because i i think it would be and then you do you just do you run all your guys on the dmr or do you kind of hold them out and say you know what the dmr is only one event if we double them like if we double tier in the 3k 5k and he wins both you get more points for that than having him just contribute one leg on the dmr it's I think it's maybe it doesn't. I haven't looked at like the other schools, what the other schools are getting in the other events. I mean, it seems like Oregon would be the favorite, but yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how Robert Johnson and Ben Thomas divide these resources. Not this Robert Johnson. I will, I will look at the schedule. I will look at the other teams and I will get back to you next week. I don't want to uninformally speculate, but yeah, you 3,000, 5,000, because this happens a lot and it's actually happened a lot to us. God, I apologize to you, Jimmy Weiner. We'd often run guys not necessarily in their best events, but what we thought could maximize the points. Yeah. Um, and it, it's very hard on them, but you might not even need to brutalize these guys to win the NCAA title because it, it, they, they could have it, you know, sort of locked up in, in some sense. But John, just one thing about these shoes, you know, s- someone on the message board, if we want to give out the free gift, women's 1500 three stripes wrote, looks like she may have been registered saying, you know, you can't, uh, Roger, you can't tell me the spikes are worth three seconds in a mile, blah, blah, blah. I understand the vapor flies were a traumatizing experience for you. This is not the road. Do these spikes make a difference? It's very negligible. So I replied to this comment and I said, what's amazing about this though, is this was predicted. It was actually predicted on this very podcast just a few weeks ago by Jeff Burns. So, you know, you can either say Rojo's an idiot or you can, you don't even have to believe me, believe Nick Willis, an Olympic two-time medalist and, Jeff Burns, admittedly, those two are friends, but the scientist who said this is going to be insane, look for it this year. And then here, here and all, you know, we have it coming up. And as Weldon said, even 2.67 seconds in a four minute mile is 50% less than two minutes in a, in the two hour marathon. So, you know, I, I definitely think that the shoes have, have a big part about it. Okay. And, and got it. One, one, one last thing. When, when I read the people say, oh, you're hyping too much or too negative. All, here's the anecdote I have to share. I told Jonathan, I, I told John Kellogg, I said, oh my God, did you see this? Right when I got the text, his first thing, words out of his mouth was, and they only ran 919 in the DMR. Okay. It was, you're running solo for most of the, for some of those legs. And it was their first race of the season. I, I'm sure they can go faster now. And also, big picture, times are going to be faster. It's going to be like the juice ball and baseball. People like us might care. The average person is not going to care. But the issue for the sport is you want a competitive, you want an equal playing field. And it's not going to be equal if you don't have one of these shoes. So, runners, if you're for a company that doesn't have one of these shoes, you need to demand it right now. Go demand it. Shoe executives. You better let them have run it. Otherwise, you don't care about your athletes, and and people should shop elsewhere. I mean, it's going to get to that point. I feel like, yeah. And- but for the sport as a whole, it m- might be a good thing. People run faster. Nobody cares. I mean, I kind of see how 
Sebco and others have just sort of turned a blind eye from this. And VC investors, whatever, why don't we go to PBAC's company, whoever makes the PBACs, and say, F this, man. I'm not releasing this to everybody. You want to put PBACs? No, no. We're, they should just make the shoes themselves, right? It's like, this is like a super product. Maybe that's stupid thinking to like tr- try to do it yourself and maybe make more licensing. But like, what, man, what, or what if Nike had somehow like bought this from the PBACs company and, and trademarked it? Like, we'd be really screwed. Fortunately, this technology is available to all shoe companies can use it. Okay. And if you're an athlete right now, let's say you run for Adidas and you don't have the super shoe. Here's your homework. Anyone who's never run in these shoes, simply buy yourself a pair of these Nike or New Balance shoes. Go out to the track. And if you're a male, why don't you do this? Run four quarters at 60 second pace. Switch your shoes out. I've been told it's drastic. You'll notice it right away. Run the same effort. In a quarter, it's going to be two to three seconds. Okay, I feel like we've been making the same point here for 25 minutes. And let's just accept the shoes make a difference. And sort of now we can move on to assessing some of the performances. We've got that caveat out there for like 20 minutes worth of caveats. Okay. Okay. I want to talk about this shit talking. We've got Instagram comments going on from this mile race. All right. So... Cole Harker, after the race, as one does, he had a good race. He took a picture of himself next to the 350, you know, finish line clock. And he posts about it on Instagram. And then one of his teammates, Carter Chrisman, says, has response in the comments, says, at MG Centro, so Matthew Centro, it's the Olympic champion at 1500, says, at MG Centro, your move. And this was kind of like a, I think a little joke thing because, you know, remember back in December, Centro barely beat Cole Hawker in a 5K. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, Cole Hawker, the 19 year old sophomore, almost beat Matthew Centrowitz. And so Centro, I'm just like, oh, okay, Centro got tell like, That's kind of a funny thing. He tags Centro. Centro actually responds here and says, never heard of you, pal. So I had to look you up. Imagine a walk on with a 414 mile PR talking shit to the reigning Olympic champ, lol. I don't need to move. I already have the Olympic standard and more importantly, the hardware. Go back to pacing your teammates. I was like, wait a second. Centro responded to this guy. Like, I, I was just kind of, it seemed like it kind of got under his skin a little bit. I don't know. Did you guys follow this at all? I saw that, but sometimes tone is lost on text. So I, I was, are we sure Centro wasn't joking around with these guys? Because I was like, wow, he probably shouldn't have done that. But I thought it was great. Be petty, Centro. Don't let these guys talk to you. I, I enjoyed it. It was entertaining to me as a fan. But I couldn't believe he did it. Well, no, th- there's a follow-up post here, Robert, because then Carter responds back and he says, wow, thanks for taking the time to respond. You were one of my inspirations while I worked to walk onto the team. Glad my two words got you so amped. And then Centro comes back to that and says, and re- I think he's you know replying to someone else here and saying, Cooper and Cole rolled the fuck out. Instead of giving them props, we got Carter Christman calling me out. For what? I'd love to bing- build these young guys up, but they just come off straight disrespectful. I wasn't talking shit on podcasts about guys before me like Galen. I mailed at Worlds when I was 21 and still respected the guys that came before me. Cooper's best finish at NCAAs is sixth, and he's taking shots at former coaches, uh, me, like he's arrived. I don't actually remember Cooper Tia doing that, but maybe I'm mistaken. Love to root for my alma mater, but some of these guys making it hard. Much respect to Cole, though. Major talent who seems to rep the U of O well. 
Wow. So, John, that second comment's interesting to me. He said he's taking shit to, to former coaches. So is he talking bad about Andy Powell behind the scenes? I was wondering about this. Doesn't Oregon normally run the University of Washington meets? They're not going to Washington this year at all. They've been going exclusively to Arkansas. I found that to be interesting. I was wondering if there's been, you know, they don't want to support UW to support that program. They want to keep their brand separate. I was interested in that. But Central also talked about something there. He said, I did not talk shit or something on the podcast. And no one really seems to be talking about this. On December 17th, there was a thread on Let's Run. Cooper Tier throws shade at Central. And it was on some sit and kick podcast where he says, sometimes you've got to babysit Centro. He's literally the most immature person on the team. So you couple that with this Instagram, probably plus Centro is probably not in a good mood because he was supposed to run this New Balance meet. He gets hurt and doesn't run it. For some reason, he's not running. He's probably a little antsy. Hey, man, I love it all. Whoa, John completely botched this story. He's going after Cooper Tier. Some rando guy, the 417 walk-on. This is different, but then Centro responds to this, praising Cole Hawker, but criticizing Tier, and then we have this backstory as well. This is actually is something. But the babysitting, what do you mean babysit? First of all, how many years older is Centro than Cooper Tier? And he talks about having to babysit him? That is very disrespectful. Yeah, I don't know. I did listen to some of that Cooper Tier interview with the, the Sit and Kick podcast. I don't exactly i i don't really want to speculate about that stuff because i'm I'm not, I'm not really sure about the full details but i do know he was actually very he praised andy powell he said when ben thomas first arrived i was like shoot like i don't know if this is going to be a good thing i think he was kind of bummed and then he found out ben thomas got jackson messler a kid on the team to break four on that and apparently they were like very shocked by this and he was like oh when he got jackson messler to run sub four i realized he's good but the reason i don't think it's that Washington's blocking Oregon from running. I think at the time when Oregon was setting their indoor schedule, we didn't even know if Washington was going to be hosting meets. And they, we did know Arkansas was hosting meets. Oregon locked in the meets at Arkansas and they go out there and the track's really fast. I think, I don't know. I think Centro probably just, I, I found it enjoyable, but he probably just should have said nothing about this. Look, we all know he's the Olympic champ. He, he doesn't need to like, worry about some kid tagging him in some comment or backing himself up. Like, I'm not worried about him. He beat Cole Hawker in December. Like, who cares if anyone's in shape in December? I don't think it's a big deal. Uh, so that's sort of my thing is discretion is the better part of valor. And Matthew Centrowitz has since announced that he will be giving up Instagram for Lent. So, I, you know, unfortunately, no more Instagram beefs, but I also think probably a wise decision on Centro's part. Very entertaining. Good stuff, guys. But back to the NCA stuff. You know, where are we going to maximize them and stuff like that? What's my biggest disappointment, though, about all of this is they're fast as hell at a mile. We know that, but we don't know that they're really milers. I mean, you can run a fast mile without being a great miler. You know, 457.5 laps is not necessarily going to win you a championship mile. And my only regret is that Jared Nagus, my guy, the one that I've been hyping up, who I think is the future of the U.S. 1500-meter scene, is apparently going to be focused on cross country because if, if I knew that he was doing track and I knew that he was doing the mile fresh, I would pick him over tier. I don't care how fast tier has run for the, the mile. Well, Robert, we do have a new mile phenom on the scene in the NCAA because just one day after this, let's go to the new balance into a Grand Prix, Sam Tanner of Washington. 
His first race of the season, and he runs 334. This is faster. Josh Kerr's collegiate record outdoors is 335.01. Santana ran 334.72. And now I'm super excited because, first of all, I'm like, I didn't even realize he was back in the country, and now he's running this pro meet. And now we can see him versus one of the Oregon guys in the mile. And, you know, Santana does appear to be, A, the real deal, and B, more of a pure miler type. So I'd love to see him face one of these guys at NCAA indoors. If you convert the Tanner's time to the mile, he's only a second and a half behind these working guys. So he's like a 351 miler. These guys are 350. So it should be interesting. But, you know, Tanner's 800 speed PB is only 149.42. One thing that's interesting, though, I think you pointed this out to me, John. This was a 1500. The NCAA is not going to accept that. So you said it was his first race of the season. That's kind of misleading. He's been racing all the time in, in New Zealand. Right. So, right. I mean, but is he going to have to run another mile just to get a qualifier? This is absurd. Yes, he would have to do that. That is ridiculous. I didn't realize he ran indoors last year for Washington. I mean, guess the season got cut short, but he was running 339 there. Did you guys know he was 233rd place at the NCAA Cross Country Championships? I did know he ran for Washington as a freshman. I mean, that's, you know, sometimes you'll get that. Some He's a freshman miler from New Zealand, and he's now he's running a 10K cross. I mean, he's just he's 18 of 19. I could, you know, I'll cut, cut the kid some slack. But I thought it was cool because we were wondering if he was going to come over here. Not only does he come over, probably just, you think he flew straight to New York and just went to the armory before heading down to Washington? I, I don't know the order of events, but I thought it was cool. Like, no, I'm going to race the pros. So, yeah. well, I'm already pumped. Yeah, I'm already pumped for Tano versus the Oregon guys versus Nagoose out, outdoors. I actually I love that Nagoose is doing cross because Notre Dame they have a good cross team. I, I always love it when the Milers run cross, so I think that's great. And maybe he'll get some strength gains for the outdoor season. So Tanner might be the favorite for NCAs. You think in the mile? I mean, who do you think is going to win? Because presumably the Oregon guys will be doing DMR or 3K or something. I doubt the mile will be their sole event. I Yeah, I think uh, Tana could be... If Tana runs it fresh, I just think, like Robert said, from what I've seen, he seems like more of a pure miler than these other guys, but you know, he also ran a 3K at the uh, you know New Zealand champs. I haven't seen enough for him to really make that determination. He hasn't run like this fast 5K like these guys. I do agree. Tier and you know Hawker are both... They both seem to be little 3K, 5K types. But also, if you get the two of them in the same race and they just say, hey, we're going to work together and make it you know, fast as fuck, maybe they can just run away from everyone. And when are NTAs? They are March 11th through 13th in at Arkansas. So I guess they'll have to go run another qualifying meet, which is so stupid. I think during COVID, they should have different restrictions. But it sounds like there are... You know, some meets going on at Washington, so they can just put on a little meet, and he can go jog it. Well, I don't know what you have to make to make, run the make it three fifty six or something. I mean, it's still pretty fast. It's just kind of crazy. Yeah. And yeah, in terms of Oregon going out to Arkansas instead of going to Washington, there might be something there. They may not want to build up the Washington program so much, but also like COVID, just the treatment of COVID is very different out in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, they knew these Arkansas meets were going to go on. Nobody knew what was going on in, in up in Washington. I mean, Wall Street Journal today, one of the articles they had in school closings, Beaverton, Oregon. School is 100% virtual all year. I was sort of shocked. 
I live in a sort of suburb suburb community, and like our schools have been open. Maybe not the high school, but but you know, all the Nike execs can't send their kids to school. Well, well, I don't want to be an alarmist here, but I did get a message on Twitter a couple of weeks ago from an interesting interested party who was curious. He's like, "Do you think there's any chance the trials don't happen in Oregon because of like you know they the restrictions in place in the state of Oregon, and if they don't have like." If Eugene just says, "Hey, we can't host it. The guidelines are too strict in June." What hap- What then happens to the trials? Do you have another? I feel like you would need another local organizing committee with money to step in and host it at some facility. I'm kind of worried. You know, does U- is USATF planning for this contingency that Oregon might not be able to host a meet in in June, and they might need to shift it to Iowa or something? I'm sure they're planning something because I- I'm about to write an article on this. I read over the weekend. Canada has come out with their plans for their Olympic trials. They're going to have no spectators. And I saw this and I was like, I've been told for a year now to follow the science. This is insanity. And I want to write an article and I'm going to back it up with facts saying Eugene should not only have fans, they should have full capacity of fans. By June, we will have, by June, we will have easily been able to vaccinate the entire population that is at risk for COVID-19. So, you know, again, I'm going to write this article and I'm going to say why. I know that the, the, the virus can still spread when you're vaccinated, but at what level? I mean, to me, we should do it by age. Get the essential workers, get the health care. Now it's 65 and plus, then go down to 55 and plus, 45 and plus, because every 10 years is like 10 times as deadly. But if we've vaccinated everyone in this country that wants to have it over the age of 50 by June, uh, I don't know. I mean, people need to be allowed to go about their lives if they want to. If they don't want to go to the damn track meet, they don't have to go to the damn track meet. But if it's not killing anyone and it's less deadly than a car accident at that point, you know, some risk is, is, is acceptable in society. I just think these people are panicking. John, it is interesting, right? Because each state has handled COVID differently. The Northwest California has been very pro lockdowns. And I mean, like Texas would be an option, but it's very hot there. But like Texas outdoor sporting events, I think are allowed at least 50% capacity. The Dallas Cowboys had 28,000 fans a game. So like you could, Austin, you know, we're having the outdoor meet there in two weeks. You could easily have it in Austin outdoors with some capacity. So I don't know if the ticket revenue means anything to USATF, but I'm just, if one, you hold it with no fans, that's an option. And maybe you try to get some money from NBC or something. But if they need the money from fans, they have to be pursuing that and looking into it. So, I mean, that would be the biggest fail of all time if USATF isn't doing that. But that's just sort of basics if you're hosting that meet is to look into alternatives. So, I mean, I, I'm assuming that's happening. Yeah, I mean, my well, my understanding is the ticket revenues generally go to the it would go to Tracktown USA. That's the only the main way they recruit their investment, and they're putting a lot of money into hosting this meet. If they don't have the ticket revenues. They just, I mean, you always have Uncle Phil as the backstop, but they're just going to take a humongous loss on this thing. But anyway, um, let's talk about some of these other, we, we're like, what, 40 minutes into the show now. We haven't talked about these American records and New Balance and New Grand Prix. So let's let's hit those real quickly. This was a great track meet. I really enjoyed watching it. A lot of interesting races. In that race, I mean, we'll get to Ollie Hoare in a second, but let's start with the trio of American records. Donovan Brazier in the 800, Ellie Puria in the, Two Mile, and Bryce Hobble in the 1,000. Which of those three stood out the most to you guys as the most impressive? 
this is easy for me, Bryce Hopple. One, he's not wearing the super shoes. Two, the way he did it. His first 400 was 55. His second 400 was 53. His last 400 was 53. The, the rabbit was useless in this race. He just went out and got it. Amazing job to get it in 1,000. Brazier, I know he ran 100th of a second faster than he did last year, but he was in much better shape last year. He ran a huge negative split. He looked like he was toying around the field last year. This year, he looked pretty much all out in this performance. And then Perrier, while it's a, a good time, there's she would be like the fourth best girl in the Bowerman Track Club last year when you convert it to the 3,000 right ones or three or four better times than that. So I would just say this. Brazier's been in better shape before. Perrier's not even in the same type of shape that Houlihan and Schweizer was in last year. Or at least her time is not better than that. And I think even Quigley. And so it's got to be Donovan. It's got to be uh, Bryce Hopple, in my opinion. Well, Robert, you're saying here like Ellie Perrier, you're not really blown away because the time doesn't convert to what... Carissa Schweizer ran last year, 826, the American indoor record for 3K. But we also got to appreciate the way she ran this race. I mean, she went 441 for her first mile, then 428 for her second. I mean, 428 f- for your second mile, that's that's actually, that's fantastic. Uh, and, you know, I, I will shout out Emma Coburn as well. This was, is this her best flat track race ever? I mean, she goes out 442 for the first mile, closes in 433 for her second mile. That, she ran 9.15, which was under the old record, converts to 8.37 for 3K. I mean, Beatrice Chipkoech, who just broke the world record for 5K on the roads in Monaco, she ran 8.34 in Leven. So we're saying, oh, Chipkoech, she's you know, the, the biggest lock for gold in Tokyo, but Coburn ran 8.30, equivalent of 8.37, three seconds slower, and could have gone faster. I was very impressed both by Puria and Coburn in this race. Yeah, going into this, I would have said other oh, two miles, the least impressive record. Afterwards, when you posed this question, I was like, oh, wow, maybe Purier. Purier and Coburn, same thing. Both very impressive runs. They are in the New Balance Super Spikes, but I mean, the record was so soft, but they crushed it. Eight seconds. I mean, well, Purier did. So, tremendous run. I mean, she just showed she's. T- Resuming where she left off last year. Yeah, what actually, I didn't see the meet live. I was doing some stuff with the family. And I was looking at results. And I scrolled up the results. I just clicked on men's 800. I saw the time. I'm like, oh, Brazier didn't run that fast. It was an American record by a hundredth of a second. But it's just like, oh, Brazier didn't do that well. I didn't, you know, I, it's like, oh, 144. It's like, ah, wasn't that great of a run. So, but then later I saw his, his comments and they're, one, I thought Andrea Mitchell, she did great with the post-race interviews. I mean, she's just a professional. She did research. She's not usually a track person. I, I enjoyed what I heard from her. But she said to him, like, hey, you worried about Hobble like, coming after you? And he's like, uh, you know, when he chases, when he starts scaring my outdoor records, I'll be worried. So a little rivalry, you know, developing between the two, which is a good thing. And I think we got to have a shout out to – the late David Torrance. I mean, he lost his American record. He was a great light in track and field, left this world way too early, but it took a great run to take away his American record. So I don't know. That was kind of the, I think a lot of uh, sad thing, not sad, but you know, nobody wanted to have the record forever, but every time you'd see that record, you think of David and think of his smile. Small correction, Weldon. Sideline reporter's name was Andrea Joyce. But yeah, it, she was amazing, by the way. I mean, she had really good questions, well-researched, 
I, I really enjoyed having her on, on, on the broadcast. Yeah. Popple, sorry, Brasia, he breaks the American record, which started tr- we're treating it as like, Oh, it wasn't really that impressive. I mean, to me, I was, st- I was impressed by all three of these performances because he comes out, he doesn't look like his, you know, quite, he admits he's not quite as fit as he was this time last year. It's his first race of the season. And he still comes out and runs 144-2 indoors. I mean, that's still very good. I think uh, uh, the bar he has to clear. I mean, last week on this podcast, Robert, you said, you know, if he doesn't break the American record, I'll be disappointed. This is the, the bar we're setting for this guy. And it's just the expectations are so high based on what he's done. He's so talented. He's run 142. He's the best 800 runner in the world. He's the eight world champion. We're like, oh, man, if he doesn't do something special, I'm not going to, you know, I just think we have to accept we're watching greatness. He's going to go down as one of the best ever um, in American track and field. And I think we just have to appreciate 144.2 as an opener. That's pretty damn like an American record. Who does that and just breaks one of these records in his first race of the season? My bar is so high for Donovan. I guess that's just where it is. That's how good he is. And my apologies to Andrea Joyce. I don't know why I said Mitchell. A little sleep deprivation. You guys know who Andrea Mitchell's husband is? I don't know who Andrea Mitchell is really until I Googled her and then she looked kind of familiar, but no. Yes. John, you're not a, you're not a meet the press person. Fed guy. Yeah. Alan Greenspan. Yeah. I don't watch meet the press. Speaking of the feds, how about a shout out to Keith Gill? He's gone silent. Hopefully he's still listening to this podcast. Maybe he's listening to this podcast. Keith, hang in there. They're now going to investigate this guy. Like, come on. Unless he's like in cahoots or something with the hedge funds. Like, all the shit all the big big guys do and get away with. And this guy just talked about stocks and fucking YouTube. And they want to have some great investigation. Give me a break. Okay, talking with Brazier versus Hopple. I know they both got American records. And I said I was more impressed with Hopple's. But I still view Hopple as a significant step down from Brazier. Maybe Hopple's listening to this. Maybe his dad is. Maybe that motivates him. But do you guys agree? I mean, I don't think if Hopple is the same even level as, as Brazier. I think they're fairly close. I mean, they raced in Monaco last summer, and it was a very close race. I This is one of the reasons, Robert, why I was clamoring for this matchup in this meet was so that we could see head-to-head. And I think the results kind of – I mean, you could I, I enjoyed both races, but I think you can also say, well, that kind of proved they should have been racing each other. It would have been more exciting. But – I don't, I don't think it's a significant step down. I mean, he was first or fourth in the world. He barely beat him in Monaco last year. It's I, set, I certainly think Brazier's the clear favorite, but I'd like to see him race a few times this summer, and then I'll be able to see. I'm not going to write off Bryce Opel. Yeah, if they're not at the same level, I understand what Robert's trying to say, but then that's sort of like, okay, you had David Radisha and you had everybody else because Opel's very good. He's like fourth in the world and brazier was first in the world he's run 143 what brazier's run 142 yeah i mean it's i understand what you're saying he might be a slight class above but every time hopple runs almost every time i'm like wow this guy's even better than i thought and and kind of mentally i don't quite have him on the brazier level yet but whoo Okay, but after the race, I asked her which way is she leaning towards the trials. She didn't really want to answer it, but she basically said 1,500. Her heart's in the 1,500. So I think she's a lock for the 1,500-meter team. I think Houlihan's a lock for the 1,500-meter team. 
as well. That leaves one spot. Ginny Simpson's not even racing right now. I don't think she's going to make the Olympic team. I'm going out on a limb here, and I'm penciling in the third spot to, assuming she doesn't do the 800 like I urged her to last week, Sinclair Johnson of the Bowerman Track Club. If Jerry Schumacher can get Carisha Schweizer, who's not even a 1,500-meter runner, to run four flat, he certainly can get Sinclair Johnson to run a couple seconds faster than that. How many women in this country can run 357, 358? Not very many. Sinclair Johnson, Ellie Perrier, and Shelby Houlihan. That will be your U.S. Women's Olympic 1,500-meter team. Wow, this is Robert's hot take. Jenny Simpson, the greatest miler in American history. 34 years old now. Uh, he's saying she will not make her team. You realize, Jenny Simpson, do you know the last world championship or Olympic team Jenny Simpson did not make? John, I, 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 I go by heart and passion. I don't go by facts. I just go with my gut. No, I do not. 2005 World Championships in Helsinki. That is the last time Jenny Simpson did not make a team. Okay, John, you're making me a little bit nervous, but this brings back to my other point. She's not going to be on that 1,500-meter team because she's going to have wised up and moved to the <laughs> steeplechase. Just like I said, Jenny, you need to practice. I don't know how the, how the schedule works. If you bomb out in the 1,500, you need to make it. try to make it in the steeplechase. And also, I've got an apology to – I need to make a formal apology on this podcast. Mark it down, John. This is Jerry Shoemaker and Evan Jager. I apologize for trying to get Evan to quit Jerry. Obviously, he has not done it. I realize I was misguided in that. The person, the steeplechaser that I should be coaching is Miss Colleen Quigley. She has left the Bowman Track Club. She's been looking for a new coach, and I am more than qualified. Every year at Cornell, we basically had a sub-nine steeple. I have coached 840 steeplers all the time at Cornell. We can get the world record together, Colleen. Please come to me. I apologize to Evan. I realize I have more experience coaching the 840 to nine minute range. I've never coached the eight minute to a 10 range. I see. Uh, Robert has neglected to mention the fact that he didn't actually coach any women to run those times, but that's all right. She actually, Colleen has John, a new coach. John, careful there. Careful in today's era. Careful. <laughs> okay. Uh, Colleen has a new coach, Josh Seitz, who was uh, coached her, her senior year at Florida State to an NCAA title. She made a Wells team. So be interesting to see what happens with her. Uh, but I do want to go back to the Simpson thing. Robert, look, I'm not actually saying you're necessarily wrong because I, I don't know. My, I still bet on Simpson just because I've counted her out against you know winning medals too many times on the global stage, and I just think she has the savvy. She's not she's not going to let the pressure get to her. She knows exactly what to do to make these teams. She's been doing it half her life. But at the same time, you look at the talent. I mean, look, Houlihan. I think we all agree has surpassed Simpson. That's been pretty clear. And then you know, Parrier and Sinclair Johnson. I think they have the talent to possibly keep Jenny off the team, but. You know, we don't know. We we got to wait till June. I think it's going to be a fat. If all four of those women are doing the fifteen hundred, the trials, and I I think I ex I expect them to. One of them's not going to make it to Tokyo, and that is what makes the Olympic trials so great. And it would be pretty crazy if Jenny Simpson. You know, I, I think maybe even a year ago you would have said, "Oh, Jenny Simpson, she's probably going to be on that team." But maybe that extra year in Jerry's system gives Sinclair Johnson what she needs to get by her. So I don't know. It's something I'll be monitoring. But right now. I would still go Simpson and Houlihan, and then I think the fourth spot, the third spot's between Perrier and Johnson. Wow, John's putting Simpson ahead of Perrier. Not me, not anymore. 
once I heard Robert's take, at first it sounded crazy, and I was like, wow, that's actually not that crazy. I'm not sure if Sinclair Johnson's there. Do we have any other contenders to take the last spot? But I think there's a decent chance – well, I don't know. I I guess there's a decent chance one of these women doesn't make it. And you say, oh, who? it can't be Hulahan. She's so good. But, like, well, you know, what if you're a little banged up or something? So I think the – Probably the greater odds are that one of those three don't make it, not that Jenny doesn't make it. So probably it's above 50%. But uh, once Robert said it, it made a lot of sense to me. Well, one other thing I will say, look, Jenny Simpson in the 2019 World Championship Final, the age of 33, ran 358. People are just ignoring that. Like, okay, she wasn't contending for the medals, but, you know, that was less than two years ago. I still think she's she was in a World Championship Final ranked 358 in the final. She knows how to run fast and get herself into the, you know, get through the rounds at these championships. I, I still have quite a good deal of confidence in Jenny Simpson. I've just looked up the schedule for the Olympic trials, at least when it was set for last year, the steeplechase 1500 double is doable. You've got to run these, the 1500 on the 18th, 19th and 21st. And then you'd have the first round of the steeple on the 20th. So you would have to run one round of the steeple would tire out for the 1500 final, but at least she would have the, steeplechase in her back pocket in case you know but that's the thing i don't think she's her main goal is just to make the olympic team she wants to be a factor when she makes it but just put it can you stop wasting our time with this steeple talk robert she's not going back to the steeple she says this she says hey, you make me ask her this every year and every year she says she's doing the 1500 can we just stop talking about this? okay well at least on january when we have an emergency podcast on the night of june 20th can i at least glow i guess it'll probably be a slightly different date because it's 2021 maybe june 21st can i at least gloat and say i told you so I'd love for you to do that, Robert. If look, Jay Simpson running, trying, doing the steeple after you know the steeple fifteen hundred double at the trials would be fantastic. But she would need to do a steeple to qualify. So at some point, she would have to run one in the regular season, and then we can have the emergency Jay Simpson going back to the steeple chain podcast. How about also, that? Also, astute listeners will remember that I did say last year, last weekend on this very podcast that Miss Johnson should run the eight hundred at the Olympics because that was where her best bet for the gold medal was. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but when you talk about one other race in this New Balance Indoor Grand Prix, and that was the men's 1500, Ollie Hoare has run an Australian record of 332.35, destroying the field. Jake Whiteman, though, there's a lot of props because he really pushed the pace, tied up the last 100 meters. But, John, Hoare runs this time, and then you sent me an article that you got via text message, I think, from some Australian pundit who has written an article. Can you explain to the viewers what you read? Because this was journalism malpractice at its finest. Yeah, so we got emailed this article from friend of letsrun.com, Paul Kemp, and he he sent me this record, and there's this Australian columnist who is praising Ollie Hoare, and he's saying this is, you know, he's there's this generational talent, and he's relatively unknown, and now he's the best chance. Hold on, let me see. He called him Herb Elliott-like. Uh, and if you guys remember, Herb Elliott was 1960 Olympic champ- champion, one of the greatest milers of all time, never lost a mile 1500 as a, as a senior athlete. And he's essentially saying, like, you know, this guy, this is he's the best thing since uh, Herb Elliott. And he's, he's, then he says, Hall ran 332 outdoors. Uh, and sorry, he ran 332 indoors of this meet. And based on that outing, he's a 328 runner outdoors. That's simple maths. 
And I was just like, oh, come on, man. Like, look, this is really impressive. But first of all, have we totally forgot about Stuart McSwain? Who is clear, like, to me, I think Stuart McSwain, maybe he's not more, I think Hoare's more of a pure miler, but like just completely, Stuart McSwain's name did not come up in this article at all, which I thought that was malpractice. Uh, but the the author did raise an interesting point, which you asked Hoare about this in the post-race interview, Robert, was they have an Australian Olympic trials in April, but to get back to Australia right now, you're coming from the US, you would have to quarantine for two weeks and in a hotel room. How are you possibly going to be doing that and staying like, you know, race sharp and race ready ahead of an Olympic trials and, you know, being, and they had an interview, you know, I will give credit to the journalist here, Rick Chapman. He talked to Ollie Hall's father and was like, this is just, it's just patently unfair to, to make him do that. And then it sounds like you said that Hall's actually not even going to be going back for the trials and just kind of have to hope rely on selection based on his time, Robert. Yeah. Well, first of all, this Chapman article in the Daily Telegraph was a disgrace because it just, it wasn't accurate. It says that they had, didn't even mention Craig Matram either. So they have no, Australia's had no male prospect like this since the 1980s. And he mentioned some 400 meter runner. Well, what about Craig Matram? Craig Matram was pretty darn good. But yes, Horst said after the race, they're not going to go back for the trials. They're just going to hope to get selected. And I don't think it's really that complicated because Stuart McSwain, if he wants to run the 1500, um, it seems like a lock. He ran 330 last year and 331. And then Horst to me would be the natural number two choice at 332. And then, you know, when you get down to number three, um, really you're looking at sort of a Matthew Ramsden who's run 334 or maybe Ryan Gregson in recent years, you know, 335. So, you know, I assume that Luke Matthews, who's also a 336 guy, is going to run the 800. So you're really you got four good guys for three spots. The only caveat is, and this is in this article, is, if you do the winner of the Australian trials, if they have the standard is on the team. So I guess the only way Hoare would really be worried is if let's say uh, uh, um, Ramsden or Gregson wins the trial somehow and upsets, upsets McSwain, then that's going to create a problem. They're going to have to probably potentially leave somebody off. But I, I, I think that to me, it wouldn't be that hard to pick the team. If, if I'm them, I'm picking McSwain, Hoare, and, then the top guy, the tri- top finisher at the trials? Between Ramsden and Gregson, yeah. Or Matthews, yeah. Um, that probably makes the most sense, but it, obviously it's not ideal. Like, I don't know, Ollie Hall, you just, like, he runs 332, this really fast indoor race. Like, you know, these other guys, I just feel like just basing off one super time on a, in a really fast race where he's towed along by Jake Whiteman, who's a 329 guy. Obviously, it's super impressive, but does that really demonstrate what you can do in a, in a tactical championship race? No, but the, the article was stupid. No one knew who he was. He'd already run 334 before this race. He'd already won the NCAA title. Everyone knew who, all, anybody who was anybody in Australia knew who Ali Hoare was. So anyways, you know, we'll, we'll let them figure it out. Yeah, I no, I, I, I agree with that. I just think it's, if you're Matt Ram, Matthew Ramston and you've got a 334 PB and you're seeing they're like, oh, they're just putting him on the team because he ran super fast in this indoor race. Like, I'd be like, hell no, I want to race him. Like, you can't just give him that spot. Like, McSwain, I think, has earned the spot. But I don't know. It's it's a it's not an, ideally you'd have him run the race, but it's the quarantine protocols make that very challenging. All right, we got some other stuff we haven't even talked about, and we got the Canyon Cross Country Championships. Joshua Chepta guy and Beatrice Chipkowicz have run in Monaco on the roads. 
But I want to stick to the track, John, for one more second here. Gudaf Sagai, the women's 1,500 indoor record holder at 353. She ran the 800 last week, and boy, was it impressive. 157.52. Blows away the field. Second place is 202. One of the things that struck me is how slow the women's 800 has been indoors this year. But don't tell that to Sagai. She was amazing. And I said after this race, in my opinion, she needs to do the 800 and the 1500 at the Olympics. Nobody's running that fast in the Olympics. Intersex women are out. I think she could pull off two medals. I think saying she could just definitely saying she could do two medals. I think that's tough, but I'd like to see her do it. She's clearly a medical. If you run 157 indoors, clearly you're a medical medal contender. But I mean, Gemma Riki did that last year, Robert. Are you saying Gemma Riki is going to be a, She's going to win a medal in the 800 for sure? I don't think we would say for sure. Fair point. And speaking of 800, Ajay Wilson was a surprise entrance at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. Congrats to her because we hadn't heard from her. She didn't race at all last year. We didn't even know she was going to run this race. Apparently she had signed up but had scratched without because she had tweaked her hamstring and decided to go to the race anyways and felt good in her warm-up and hopped in. She won. The time was not impressive. But, you know, one thing that's interesting to me is do you guys have any idea how many times Ajay Wilson has run 157 or faster? Just take a guess. 20. Nine. I think it's 14 times. 10 times she's run 157, three times 156, and then her American record is in the 155 and change. So pretty impressive stuff. I was I don't have any proof, though, that she's the same Ajay after a year away. I know she did win this race, but winning in 201 or 202 doesn't do anything for me. It's good to see that she's healthy, good to see that she's racing. But to me, the 800 is just completely wide open for 2021. It was good to see her racing. The time was very unimpressive to me. It's a weak field. I mean, 201's not impressive. I was just like, oh, she should be crushing these people. She didn't lead from the beginning, which she usually does. So it, it was unfamiliar territory for me watching. But big picture, then you hear she had a hamstring injury. She just was going to go watch. She decides to run. It's her first race since 2019. I guess what? Since Worlds in 2009? No, no. She raced a little bit indoors early last year, right? But uh, you got to start somewhere. You start with a win. It's better than losing. So I think the jury's still out. But with her past pedigree, you got to give her the benefit of the doubt. Well, you know what I really liked about this is she said afterwards, not leading was an intentional choice. And I asked her, you know, did this have anything to do with your world championship final in 2019? And she said, yes, she felt that in that race, it se- she didn't come out and explicitly say this, but it kind of seemed like she was, you know, she was acknowledging she needed to improve is in that race. She was, she wanted to have the lead and she did have the lead, but then Toya Ghoul, if you guys remember, made this hard move on the back straight and Wilson really had to, you know, dig deep to fight her off and keep the lead. And, Doing that meant that she didn't have anything when Halima Nakai came past her in the home straight. And so Ajay, kind of like we saw Donovan Brazier in his first year under Pete Julian, he wanted to get exposure to all different kinds of race situations, know that you don't have to lead every step. You know, if someone really makes this crazy move, you can let them by and run your own race. I think Ajay, she, she kind of admitted in 2019 World Championship Finals, she did not run her own race. And we see on the circuit so many times in 2019, she would go out, she just lead and control the whole thing and hold everyone off because she's better than everyone else. But I think it's very important to get, you know, experience racing these other styles. And I like that she's trying to trying to do this and, you know, get experience because 
you never know when you're going to need it in a championship final. So kudos to her and Derek Thompson for that. I thought it was great, John. I want to see the different tactics. You know, for so long she would get to put, you know, she would lead the U.S. races, but be pulled along in the international races by Semenya. She didn't have to worry about tactics. And in 800, I always say you've got one move, but it's fun to be a front runner. You run the least distance, but if someone's pushing too fast, you've got to let them go by because you don't. You're right. You don't want to blow out your energy. So you've got to just know your effort level and just stick to that. You know, if they're doing something, you know, that's not smart. You know, in terms of the long term. Yeah, David Rudisha, 2016 Olympic final, perfect example. The only I was before the race, I'm like, the only way anyone can beat him is like to try and throw him off his game. Alfred Kipkada went out insanely fast, and Rudisha's just like, fine, you can have the lead. I'll go by you and control it after that. And that's exactly what he did. And that's why he's the GOAT. Rudisha used to be exclusively front runner. Then he had that injury in 2013, came back, reinvented himself, and won two more global titles. So that's kind of what Wilson has to do, except Wilson hasn't won any global titles yet. Yeah, the ghoul thing's sort of interesting. I feel like in some ways she's kind of Ajay's nemesis. John, remember Milrose? I think it was Milrose one year. We were at the armory. We were talking to like her entourage, and I feel like ghoul's name came up. And I feel like even then, it was kind of acknowledged. Like she's the one who sometimes pushes the pace early, and that's Ajay's style. So the, I feel like the family members were like, you know, it's like they almost had a rivalry, even though like at Worlds and stuff, they really haven't had – I mean, Ajay's had so much more success. But it kind of – if you only have one style of running and someone tries to do that same style, they can really throw you off your game. So I think learning new tactics can help. Exactly. Uh, all right, let's move on to some some of these, uh, the Kenyan cross-country championships. I want to talk about this. How about some winner losers? Any big losers at this meet? We should have winners and losers. What about sprint all stuff? Right. Well, okay, fine. I mean, depends how long you will spend on this meet. I think losers, I mean, look, this is... I feel bad calling this guy out. I think he gets way too much shit on the Let's Run message boards. But I will, I will admit, Drew Hunter, ninth place in the 1500. He only ran 340 in this race. Got left well behind by three Americans, Sam Prakel, Craig Engels, and Johnny Gregoric. And obviously, you know, they ran 336 and 337 for Gregoric. The winner was Ollie Hoare in 332. Hunter, only ninth in 340. Like, look, it's not a good... Like, fine. He, he ran a PR in the 5K, like in December. I think Drew Hunter takes too much shit, but this was, objectively, this was not a good race for Drew Hunter. Yeah, I saw the results before I saw the actual race. I was like, wow, that's pretty bad. And then I saw the race, and he tried to get up there, but it's just, there's no way around it. It's not a good performance. If you're a professional runner, you're running 340, 1500. I mean, it's not his main event, but it's just not good. I mean, we got college kids running 350 miles nowadays. The game is changing. What, Drew's 5K PR is like 13, 16? You got to get under 13. I mean, like, this is professional running these days. He didn't have a super shoe in this race, so he's not playing on a level playing field. So, but I also don't give a shit what you're doing in February indoors. So, that yeah, that's the thing for me. I don't really mind it's, you know, if it's your first race, but I would say, like, you know, the the critic would go back and say, well, look, he was running 357 as a mile as a high schooler five years ago and 340 that's basically 357 it's basically the same so where's the progress and i would say you know look at the other distances you made a world's team in 2019 i think there's a lot to like about your hunter i'm certainly not writing him off or anything but this you know for an indoor for a season opener not too great but you guys can't play it both ways if he's running 13 17 pr in december not in super shoes 
we got to say that's worth at least five seconds. So we're down to 13, 12. That's still not going to make the Olympic team, but not bad. Also, in some ways, this person might have been the face of the meet. I got some huge texts. I didn't didn't see this race. Robert went off. Like, Sidney McLaughlin, oh, my gosh. Terrible hurdle race. I didn't see it. So what happened? Okay. Well, what happened was the 60-meter hurdles, this was the first time Sidney McLaughlin was running this event in six years since she was a sophomore in high school. And we know she's a 400 hurdler, so this is not her event, right? But the gun goes off, and she's just immediately falls behind everyone and just gets – it looks like she's jogging, basically. Or not jogging, but she just looks like – a high schooler. She's getting destroyed by these athletes and she finishes dead loss. Kenny Harrison, impressive 782 to get the win there. And I'm like, what the hell? Sydney McLaughlin, she's the face of New Mount. She shows up to this meet, gets dead lost, and then she scratches from the 500, which is supposed to be, you know, that the race they set up for her to win. I'm like, what's going on? Then after the race, they brought Sydney McLaughlin on the TV interview. Very rare that you see a last place finisher get a TV interview in one of these meets but obviously Sydney McLaughlin's a huge name and she says her new coach Bobby Kersey told her to practice leading with her opposite leg so she was not using her dominant leg going over the hurdles she was also running an event she hadn't raced in six years those two factors combined are why she gets you know last place so that is the explanation for her performance well then it's a good explanation and I applaud Bobby Kersey for making her one, do something she's uncomfortable with and maybe getting humiliated and getting beat really bad is good for someone who just won everything all the time. I mean, she hasn't been winning everything outdoors because of Doyle Muhammad, but I think a sort of shocking performance like this it could inspire her to big things. I don't think she really got beat. I don't think she was really even trying. It didn't look like she was trying very hard to me. So you know, it kind of miffed me as a fan, but then I was like, you know what? I mean, because they they'd set this up originally, she was going to run the 500 as the last event on the TV window, then they postponed that. So I'm like, couldn't she at least tell the meet what she's ready to do or not? But then I thought about it. I'm like, okay, you know, it's kind of like a preseason football game. You know, they'll interview Tom Brady, whether he plays one or two snaps or not. Um, you know, New Balance doesn't spend a ton of money on her, I guess, if they want to do that. That's their prerogative. To me, the big loser in this meet on the men's side was Noah Lyles. Did not look good in the flat 60. We're talking about this guy winning the 100 and the 200. If, if that 60 is any indication of what he's capable of in the 100, he, he's certainly not going to be winning the 100 at the Olympics. And then he comes back in the 200. Yes, he did win it, but 19.80, or excuse me, 20.80 is not a good time for him. And he was very testy in the mix zone after the race. Uh, the, the first question he got was, hey, on the broadcast, Otto Bolden said, you know, he, he talked about your two races and said, not a good day at the race for Mr. Lyles. And he 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 snapped back, I don't care what anyone says, and claimed that actually his performances were a sign that everything was working because they've been working on strength and he felt really strong. Um, I This is great, Robert. I, I personally think that, John – the way he responded to that and the testiness of his response showed that he wasn't happy. You don't get that snippy. You don't get that angry if, if, if this proved everything. I think, you know, it wasn't a good showing for him. He's got stuff to work on. I'm not saying it's bad. It might be good for him that he's going to be motivated now to, to train for the next couple of months. Well, I mean, Robert, when he's inadvertently speaking about this race, said 19-8. Yeah, I expect like a 19-8. 
20.8? You're just kind of like, what? Noah Lyle sort of looks at the result like it was crazy. And yeah, he, did the, he the looked at it and stuff. then he did the gesture with his hand where he was basically like, eh, so-so. Like, he, he knows it wasn't what he wanted. So-so is terrible. And I'm curious about the media stuff. Are you guys just on like a giant Zoom? Or how does this work? You have to like raise your hand to speak? How, how does it go down? Yeah, I don't think people on the podcast really care. But yes, it is a, it's a big Zoom call that lasted the length of the meet. And when you're not, you know, when you don't, they bring in athletes, the winner of each race, one after one. And, and if you, do, you know, if you don't want to ask questions, you can just mute your screen and, you know, turn off your camera and then you turn it back on if there's someone you want to talk to. I thought, I actually applaud the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. It was very smooth and very helpful for covering the meet. But in terms of these sprinters, I don't really look. I don't really care what sprinters are doing at these meets in February. Okay, like Sydney McLaughlin. The only reason she's even at this meet is she's sponsored by New Balance. Otherwise, she wouldn't be running an indoor season. You know, we showed last year. She showed up. To, sorry, 2019. She showed up to this meet. She ran the 500, basically jogged there, and then unleashed a ridiculous season. Yeah, I, I am not worried about Noah Lyles either. Like once these guys get to like May and June, and if they're st- still struggling then, then I'll be concerned. Right now, I don't really care. The one thing I will say about McLaughlin, this is her fourth coach in four years now. She had her high school coach, then she moved on to Edric Floreal for her one year at Kentucky in 2018. And then she went to Joanna Hayes in 2019. I guess four coach, I mean, it's less, four calendar, it's, less than four years total, five calendar years. Uh, now she's with Bobby Kersey, who she joined the middle of last summer. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting to me. She had a lot of success but with, well, a decent amount of success, I would say, with Joanna Hayes. She gets silver. She runs what would have been the world record before 2019, but she got beat by Dalila Muhammad. But apparently, you know, she would be working out at the UCLA track and Bobby Kersey would help her with technique. And it seems like she feels like he's sort of helping her improve areas of the race that maybe she didn't think about or consider as much under Joanna Hayes. So be interesting to see how that change moves, works out, but it's, yeah, it's been several, you know, bunch of coaches in a few years now for McLaughlin. I mean, she's had success with all the coaches. I could offer to coach her probably have success with her, but I wouldn't recommend that Sydney. Edric Florial is a damn good hurdle coach. I'm just kind of surprised she left him, but uh, maybe with the move to Texas and that sort of stuff, it had to happen. Well, yeah, I remember she was also, that was her college coach. It's not uncommon for an athlete once they turn professional to go with a pro coach as opposed to a college coach. So I don't really, yeah, I don't think we can really fault her for anything that obviously she had success with Joanne Hayes. She's a big talent. I'm not writing her off in any way. Okay, let's turn to the Kenyan cross-country champs. This was once heralded as the toughest race in the world to win. And your winner it was not Kibiwat Candier, the half-marathon world record holder. It's not Jeffrey Kenwarer, the former half-marathon world record holder. I was trying to say, well, trying to figure out what his biggest claim to fame is. Two-time New York City marathon champion, three-time world half-marathon champion. What about two, two-time, two-time world cross-country champion? Yeah, I mean, there. Th- what do you say? What What's more impressive? World cross, you think world cross outweighs anything else he's done, Robert, with the world half and the New York City marathon? Well, considering you're talking about a cross-country race, I think you would say the two-time world cross-country champion. Now, given the fact that the half-marathon is, is impressive as well. 
Nope, they weren't your winners. A guy, I don't think I would have known who this was before this race. Rogers Quimoy was your winner, 3103. Candier was second, 3105. And the big news, Jeffrey Camore, DNF. So, guys, any thoughts on this one? A couple. So, one, this race actually... You know how we always complain, oh, these races aren't streaming or whatever. I believe this race was streamed. There is, you can watch a replay of it now um, on like, there's a Facebook page. I saw a video link of that. So applause to them for that, for the broadcasters. But also the course was incredible. There were just huge standing water, lots of mud. Like if you look at Rogers Quemoy, the photo of him after he crossed the, the finish line, he's got mud all over his face. There's so much mud in his bib number, you can't even read it. I, I just thought it, it looked like a phenomenal, you know, a good atmosphere and a good course to be at. And that's why the winning time, 3103, I mean, cross-country distances, you never totally know. But even in altitude, 3103 for those guys is kind of kind of slow. But anyway, Quemoy, I mean, first of all, he's, he's a former world junior champion on the track. He won the 10K in 2016. So that was the guy who won at the two years before that was Joshua Chepter guy. So... You know, he does have some talent. He was fourth at Worlds in the 10K in 2019. He's run 26.55. So clearly, you know, obviously nowhere near a scrub. He's he's very good, but not the same name recognition as some of the other guys. I'd say Candier getting second, that's fine. The worry, the concern for me is Camaro. I mean, what's going on? He he was sort of with the leaders and I think was kind of getting dropped a little bit and then just dropped out. Is there... He won the Kenyan, you know, the police champs a couple weeks ago and looked, oh, he won by a lot. He looked like it was regular Jeffrey Camelwater again. And this race, he gets dropped and then he just drops out. Is he hurt? Was he? Was this just a bad day? Like, that's kind of what I'd like to know because that's the guy I'm concerned about right now. Well, he was coming back from getting hit by a motorcycle. Allegedly, allegedly, on a training run. I don't know. I'm not going to make too much of it. The guy with his pedigree, I mean, you don't see the... A lot, but like maybe it's just like I'm not winning, I'm done. I mean, but if that's the attitude, I think that's a horrible attitude for a great champion like him. Like, come on, I, if that's the case, I think it's lame. If he was hurt or something, all right, but just I'm not gonna win, I'm gonna drop out. I don't really like that, yeah. And, and uh, I mean, yeah, it's not wouldn't be a good thing if he did it regularly, but if he did it, does it once, it's just like, oh, I'm just not quite where I thought I was. This course sucks, it'd be very un Camaro like and very un. I would say like Kenyon, a lot of these guys just show up at these races and tough it out. Um, but Quimoy, like, yeah, it was a very nice win, you know? And he was fourth at Worlds and, a, I mean, junior champ. That's back in 2016. But before this, uh, you know, I've seen the name, I guess, but it's like, uh, you know, without looking it up, I wouldn't know what he'd done. I think this indicates you always need like a – you need a pipeline. You need people in the pipeline. So if Cam War's not there, you know who's who's going to be the Kenyan guy. And now you got Candier. And I, I don't think this is the Kenyan guy. Kenyan never wins the ten thousand. Let's be honest. So, you know, we, we got to be honest about Cam War. He's only got one medal on the track in his career. I, I don't think that he really is a factor at the Olympics. This is a good result for Mo Farah. The Kenyans really aren't big players in the ten thousand for some reason. I think he's got to worry about the Ugandans. And maybe, you know, with the Salazar out, that, that also might hurt Kajelcha, somebody like that. So this was a good result for, for Mo Farah, I think. No, nobody dominant. John, who's the guy that, that always does well in the Central Park race from, from uh, Kenya? He is the best bet, I think, for a Kenyan medal. Ronex Kipruto. 
who did medal in the 2019 World Championship 10K. So the thing that I would like to also talk about this race is, you know, women's winner, Sheila Chandler got, she won by five seconds. She's run 1440 last summer. She's pretty young, 221 or 22. You know, could she be a factor on the track? But another name that caught my eye was the men's junior race. Gideon Rono, this guy dominated, won by 14 seconds over second. He's 41 seconds up over third. Guy's already run 13.33 at altitude. He turns 18 in five days on February 22nd. That's, I was just trying to see, like, if there's anyone that was really dominant. And to me, to be third place by 40 seconds, 13.33 at altitude, that's pretty impressive to me. Yeah, one to keep an eye on for sure. Shall we go Monaco real quick? We did have a world record we've barely discussed here. Women's side, this was the 5K road race in Monaco. Beatrice Chepkoech runs 14.43 to get the world record there. If you astute fans will remember, she broke the steeplechase world record in Monaco back in 2018. Now, I will note, this isn't actually the fastest 5K ever run on the roads. That was 14.32 by Jocelyn Chepkoech. Jocelyn Jepkos guy in Prague in 2017. And that was actually the first 5K of her 10K world record was 14.32. But that was when the 5K was not an official world record distance. Anyway, so that's the women's race. And the men's side, uh, uh, Joshua Chepta guy who broke the world record with his 12.51 in this race last year goes out and runs 13.14. He wins the race. He doesn't get close to the record. It was supposed to be a pretty windy day. So that to me... I, and what I, from what I read, maybe Chepta guy once he realized that kind of backed off the record a little bit. Whereas Chip Koech still got it. That, to me, that's a very impressive run to get a world record in uh, in windy conditions like that. I think it was the last week's podcast. I was saying she was running pretty well, and you guys were like, "Nope, nope, she's not in shape for the steeplechase." Oh wait, she just broke a world record. I don't think she's done anything to indicate she's going to run 844 in the steeplechase. 1443 is a little bit better than what something that Emma Cobran could do, but it's not unbeatable. As for Chapter Guy, John, I mean, he went out. Look at his splits: 244 for the first thousand, so that's 1340 pace. Every every thousand got faster: 244, 241, 237, 238, 232. You know, some people say, "Oh, he ran over 20 seconds faster than last year." That doesn't bother me, and I'm glad that he's not worried about trying to force it to beat last year's times. So, you know, he doesn't matter what kind of shape he's in really that you know this type of year well that's good because there was an early an early version of the notes document we use to talk about this podcast was actually it's still in there the phrase stick a fork in chapter guy is, is written there and i don't know who wrote that i assume you robert but i'm glad that you your podcast take is more measured than your private well take. i thought about starting out with sarcasm i mean the guy did get beat in the world half He's no longer even the best guy in Uganda. And now he can't even come within 20 seconds of what he ran last year. He clearly should retire from the sport and never run again. Though, so actually, talking of guys, I do want to ask about one guy. Uh, I don't want to say, is he done? But Robbie Andrews ran his first race since 2019. And Robbie Andrews has kind of been through hell the last few years. He had Lyme disease, and it's just been a huge pain for him to get over that. He had some surgery to remove some bone spurs from his from his leg or his ankle. You know, he obviously we know this what this guy can do when he's at his best, but 
He turns 30, 30 years old next month, and his debut season race of the 2021 season out in Arizona at the Valley of the Sun Track Classic, he ran 407, and that is a 1,500 people, not a, fi- not a mile. So he ran 407 in a race where the winning time was 345. You know, he hasn't really done anything for about three years at this point. Are we worried at all about Robbie Andrews? John, what's my favorite phrase? Talent doesn't go away. I mean, I I still think he's talented. It, it's hard to run when you have Lyme disease. That could take a year or two, particularly when at first he didn't seek traditional medical treatment. He tried to pull a Steve Jobs and go to some chiropractor to get treated. Um, had a couple surgeries, but, you know, I'm friendly with his coach. His coach said, Jason Vigilante thinks he's doing fine. He's, you know, he's coming back from the surgery. He said that, that his, his, his calf pulled up, John, so he, he didn't want to drop out. He just jogged it in. He thought that he could have been in. You know, he's not in great shape, but he, he could have been in the – what was the winning time? He said, you know, he was going to try to win that race. So 345. 345 was the winning time, yeah. So, you know, he's – he's, can you make an Olympic team if you're in 345 shape right now? I think you can. Well, I, th- I think he's the dark horse for the trials because he just – like – you know, he has not made a U.S. final since 2017. He's kind of, we know he's very good. He made the Olympics in 2016, but I kind of view him like, you know, five years ago, Leo Manzano wasn't really doing very well. And then comes to the trials. He runs like one good race before the trials. And then he's fourth and he almost gets that final spot against Ben Blankenship. I kind of view Robbie, Robbie wasn't quite as good as Leo at his peak, but you know, they both had the vigilante connection. Like I, Kind of you, and they both are huge kickers, you know, the last 200. I kind of view him in a similar situation. Like, Robbie, if he can just get his body to cooperate, and that has been a big issue for the last few years, but if he can get to the trials and he's in shape, that last 200, you can put him up against pretty much anyone. But getting that point will be a challenge. So I I think he, I'm not totally writing him off, but it's been a rough for the last few years. And then trying to chase the standard could be a problem. Because he's not really a time trial. But yeah, if you put him on championship 800, I still think he's dangerous. I wouldn't want to be, you know, some of these fast milers who can't kick. But John, before we leave, I would like to point out a result because you know me, you say that I like I don't like coaches that are younger than me, more successful. But I'm going to give a shout out to my boy, Andy Powell. Did you notice there was an indoor race where BYU had three guys break 1330? So you see why they're going to be contending for the NCAA Cross Country Town title. But no one talked about this. Washington, led by Mr. Powell, they've got five guys, 1344, 1347, 1357, 1352, 1354. So their fifth runner is under 14. I mean, back in the day, that would put you in the hunt for NCAA team title. So I would think that they're probably going to go cross country. Oregon doesn't show up. Washington wins the Pac. Oh, I guess Stanford maybe. But Washington's probably thinking they're going to try to win the Pac-12 cross country title, right? They probably after this result, they're probably going to feel pretty confident. And Robert, this doesn't even include their top guy in cross country, Talon Hull, who was third at this the Silver State cross country challenge. Uh, you know the run with the one with that was with BYU and NAU, and they ran almost all of their top guys in those races. There was no Grialva. He got third in that race. Talon Hall did. So add him to the mix. That's a heck of a cross-country squad you got right there. I do think that same meet, this was at Washington, You know, obviously the BYU going, Connor Mance, Casey Klinger, Grant, Brandon Garnico, all under 1330. That's ridiculous. 
But I, I think we also need to say the BYU women, how impressive they were in the 3K. You've got Anna Camp, 852, wins the race. She was running unattached. She doesn't have indoor eligibility, but she, she does have cross-country eligibility. Then Courtney Wayman, 18, 854, Olivia Hoge, 856. So those two are 1-2 in the NCAA, and then you add in Anna Camp, who beat both of them, and who does have cross-country eligibility. I think that's your NCAA cross-country favorites on the women's side. <laughs> you know, you've got the top three 3K runners in the NCAA right now. That's going to be a heck of a, a top three. Yeah, the college times nowadays are just insane performances. Oh, one other thing, Robert. NCAA cross-country is going to be on TV for the first time since 2009. ESPNU will be broadcasting it. The play-by-play man is your favorite broadcaster, Bill Spaulding, your co-broadcaster at the Ivy League Indoor and Outdoor Track and Field Championships. And it's not going to be behind a paywall. Anyone, if you get ESPN, you you can watch this on TV. You know, you got to be pumped about this news, Robert. Well, we should have lied with this. I didn't think of it. It's been a great week for me. My boy Bill gets called up to call the NCAA cross country. It's not going to be behind the paywall. I guess people, some people will argue that ESPN is paywall, but come on, way more people have access to ESPNU than Flow Track or Dystat or Runner Space or any of these things. So very excited that Bill is doing it. He does such a fantastic job. I guess Bill doesn't have the power to pull me with him. Uh, is there anything about my name being color commentator or anything, John? Didn't see it announced, I'm afraid, Rojo. Probably because I didn't check my email or something. They probably offered me the job via email, and I didn't. Yeah, I'm glad. NCAA Cross Country, back on TV. I think anything on ESPN is good. Yeah, sad day for Robert. You know, it's just kind of being left behind. Bill, Robert was his advocate. And, you know, John, but it's like anybody. You know, you're playing – a lot of people say they play, played peewee football with Tom Brady. Then Tom Brady goes on to better things. Robert, you had your touch with greatness, and you had your spot with Bill. That's true. It's kind of like the Bill Belichick-Tom Brady debate. Who made who great? And now we know Brady wins when Bill rocks this podcast without me. I'm going to be exposed as the Bill Belichick of the, of the, of the, of the relationship. John, but it was a sad week for you. I'm speaking of NCAA cross country. I've received notice, folks, that no media members will be allowed at NCAA cross country. Jonathan's annual trip to the great championships apparently will not be happening. Uh, I, guys, I heard this. Someone on the wet message boards, though, said that the course goes by. There's a road that goes through the course. So can you just go out there and stand? I don't know how John feels about traveling, but I've traveled during COVID. I feel like John might need to go out there and make a protest well that's the thing i'm like look if i don't know i i i just worry like if i show up to the i don't want to be that guy who just shows up to the course and you know you skirting covid protocols but at the same time like other cross-country courses other cross-country meets have had media at them this year you know flow track will has covered some of these the meets in las vegas and they go up to someone and interview them after the race i don't know i, I don't want to get my future credential blocked by the NCAA, but it is one of my favorite meets to go to every year. I've been to the last six of them and it's always a fun trip either with Robert or Weldon. And, you know, it's not going to be the same, obviously, like, you know, maybe not, but I like getting in there and running on the course. And I don't know, this means a lot to me. Like when I heard that the meet was going to be on TV, it was really exciting because I remember the first time it was ever televised was 2008. 
And that was the year that Galen Rupp beat Sam Chalanga. And I knew it was going to be on during the day while I was at school. So I, I DVR'd it. And then I invited a couple of the guys on my cross country team from high school. Where like, I'm like, Hey, this is the NCAA cross country championships. Do you want to come over and watch the meet at my house? We went over, these guys weren't really into running and you know, pro running or college running, but they were like, Hey, it'll be fun. And we watched it and we all enjoyed it. It was a pretty great race between Chalanga and Rupp. And I don't know. I just feel like obviously you can also subscribe to flow track and watch previous meets. That's possible. But like, I feel like it being on TV is a bigger deal and you know, you get, it gets more people excited in it. And hopefully you can have some more high school teams. I mean, maybe not this year, but this agreement is for the next four years. So maybe next the fall you're like, Hey, the meets on TV, everyone come to my house. We'll have this big watch party. I, I just feel like it's, it's a good way to kind of grow the sport. Maybe I'm just going back on the fond memories from my high school years. What is a good way to grow the sport? The fact that you're not there to cover it really isn't going to affect most. Well, people. no, no, that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that being on TV is a good big deal. And I think the, the flow tracks of, of the world, the direct streaming, I, I think we're seeing that that doesn't increase audience. You're catering to the masses. I don't know why a lot of more of these events just don't handle the streaming, the subscriptions themselves. But I mean, that's for a different discussion. But, you know, like MOS, the DC United did an agreement with flow track and they thought, oh, they're going to bring f- passion and, and stuff and reach to it. And they realized no, they're just putting behind a, on a paywall what used to be available. And I, I'm not against pay-per-view streaming. I, I think there's a, a need for it. But in terms of reaching bigger audiences, yeah, you're on ESPN for sure. I think on all, it's a good thing. It's too bad, John. It looks like you won't be at the meet. I'm sure how John says that, thinks that, why John thinks that 2008 was the first year the NCAA Cross Country was televised. I'm watching a 1998 NCAA Cross Country Championship highlights on YouTube. Televised live, Robert. Oh, okay. Important copy out there. Well, folks, it's been a great podcast. I have picked the U.S. Women's Olympic 1500-meter team. We have talked about all these amazing national records, world records on the road, and much more. But we've got a track meet to to follow in Europe somewhere. I think it just started. Walden needs to launch the new homepage. So until next week. Yeah, I've not launched the homepage. And that means I've not counted up the money going to John. So I have to extend it, John. So I count the money. You subscribe right now. All subscriptions go to Jonathan Galt's pocket. Let's run.com slash subscribe. Robert, I got to like give him the money before I cut this off. Because with also just the way in the back end it's been going. I haven't cut it off since we've been working on the new homepage. So you can subscribe there and you can still get your drink LMNT sample pack drinklmnt.com slash let's run. Do that now. You got no excuse. It takes five minutes if you're on an Apple iPhone. I mean, two minutes. Do it now. John, can I get you at least to like send $2 per order just so I can, you know, John Kelly's having to stuff the shirts. It's taking some time. Pay the underlings. Are you like the Chinese overlords? You don't believe. Give, I thought this was a generous offer by Weldon. And now he's sort of like saying, oh, but there's a tax on this or something like that. Fair enough. I'll, I'll pay John Kelly out of my own pocket. You deserve it, John. Only the best to you. Thank you. Thank you, Robert.